0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another new episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail. As always, who am I joined with?
1: Brendan Norrison, and today we've got another new episode of Time Extend for you, and it's also of the featured variety, as we'll be looking at some 7 out of 10 racers today, finally. But before we actually get into that, we have an exciting announcement. Isn't that the case, Adam?
0: Right, yeah. So, um... It's been a dream of this podcast to uh, basically just just get Sega to notice us in some shape or form. I mean, that <laughs> kind of happened with the whole uh, with the whole Sonic Team Racing. Uh, I don't know partnership. Well, they're not really a partnership. Basically, they sent us a code, and we were just like, yeah, we take that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so that is now leading to a chance where Brendan, you are going to get to go
1: to Sega's office in the UK and stream some games. Is that right? yep that's the case um, we've been contacted and um, we, we get the chance to go to a Sega office which is absolutely uh, wild really and as you say yeah we're going to be playing some old Sega racing games on stream uh, primarily Virtua Racing with uh, some others maybe thrown in there but it's something to look out for on the 18th of October uh, at 6pm BST I believe we'll be kicking off at but it's going to be an exciting time and a good chance for time extend to kind of do something a bit different i suppose because it's always something we've kind of discussed internally about what can we do with the brand and what kind of content would people enjoy and i don't think it gets more on brand than literally going to a sega office to play old racing games
0: yeah i've said before we're as much of a sega podcast as we are a racing game podcast at heart so um yeah it is it is really exciting for me i'm jealous that i'm not going to be able to, to get to go but it's it's exciting to see this podcast uh you know, actually going to, you know, Sega and and uh, playing a bunch of games we really like. I mean, I think right now uh, we're talking about virtual racing, obviously, since that's the most uh, uh, the most recent release that they have that also obviously syncs up perfectly with what we love, but uh, maybe you guys will even stream some Daytona. So, yeah, it's uh, super exciting and, of course, the dream is that, you know... The stream is gonna absolutely explode. It's gonna get millions and millions of views (laughs) and that's going to convince Sega to uh remaster Scud Race and make a Sega Rally 4 and all sorts of other great stuff, which is definitely gonna happen. Um, I feel I have a good feeling about that.
1: We we have our in now, Sega. (laughs) Sega are letting us into their offices, so this is where um I, I plant the source code for a full Scud Race remaster that I've been working on despite not being a very good coder whatsoever. Um, and then they find it, and it's like, oh, we better send this to Sega Japan. They get a hold of it, and it's like, well, we might as well bring it out. We might as well play the, sorry, pay the ridiculous licensing fees that are probably involved. And then, yeah, Time Extend Presents Scudry Race HD gets released on the Nintendo eShop. I'm pretty sure that's how it will go down. Probably,
0: and then they'll even be like, well, while we're at it, we may as well make another system, because this game is so <laughs> good, it can't live on, on third-party hardware, so... So yeah, but uh, yeah, so lots of exciting things going on with that. Uh, I'm really, uh, I'll be really pleased to watch you uh, and whoever it's gonna be at Sega. I think that's still up in the air, but uh, watch you guys stream some some really cool racing games. And and I hope that everyone listening will also tune in. Uh, but we'll we'll remind you, you know, when the time comes, obviously, because everything can always change last minute. So. So with that out of the way, we can get on to today's topic, which is one we've talked about and teased for a while. Uh, as it always is on Time extend. we're always talking about things and then not really coming through until like three to six months later. Um, but it's 7 out of 10 racers. Uh, and Ooh. I find this to be a, a funny topic because when I thought long and hard about it, uh in the run in the run up to this show i realized that most racing games are probably seven out of ten
1: <laughs> yeah I-, I would totally agree with that to be honest i mean we love them all pretty much um especially v rally <laughs> um and yeah i think when it comes to racing games there's this little massive selection of titles that for a lot of people will just be a typical racing game but there's always going to be that one niche fan that loves this particular title and this is why we decided to make this series because there's just so many games that will probably resonate with a very select few people but trying to understand why that is is actually part of the fun and we know each other pretty well Adam but I still think there's going to be some surprises on this list as we kind of work through it in a number of episodes
0: yeah, I was, since you were the one who really spearhead this in the beginning, I came to you with a couple of my you know, selections and my feelings and and I was like, yeah, but I, I don't know, these might not really fit the theme of what, because I really wasn't sure what you meant, just like average racing games in general or sort of the good games or like did they all have to be like copying a certain theme and you just said the more obscure the better. <laughs> uh, which is pretty much like the time extend motto. So um, I, I'm not bringing anything super obscure to this. I mean, w- we always say that, but but we'll we'll see. You you the listener will be the judge of that. Um, the one thing that crossed my mind, uh, aside from the fact that most most racing games and most games in general are probably somewhere between average to to sort of the decent, uh, is that uh, it's not a hard rule. But I feel like most 7 out of 10 racers are also kind of derivative um, in some way. It's always like, you know, Gran Turismo hit really big, let's copy that. Or like Ridge Racer is amazing on like the PS1 and everybody's trying to make their own version of that game. Like I feel like the 7 out of 10 racer concept, although it doesn't strictly have to be, it always... In this case, it it always leads to games that are trying to do what someone already did really well, but it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite land. Like off the top of my head, although I personally wouldn't call this game even as good as a seven, but to me, like the crew is just Forza Horizon, but
1: less. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I guess that's the kind of the the difficult part is seeing what makes a game well, just for this example, like the crew, special. It's not something that we can quite fathom, but there's going to be someone out there that does think that it offers something pretty unique. Um, And yeah, I think that's where the discussions are going to go here. It's going to be a case of introducing a game, making it sound as pretty um, standard as possible, and then through much digging, actually identifying why people might resonate with it so much.
0: Yeah, so we've outlined the concept pretty well, so I think it's about time we can get into our first pick, and this will probably be an ongoing series because there are so many games we could talk about here, but uh, Brendan, why why don't you kick us off with your
1: first 7 out of 10 racer? Sure, no pressure at all then. Um, we did say that some of these have the chance to be obscure, and the purpose is, is not to identify the ones who are just a lesser Gran Turismo or a lesser... Her- horizon and therefore the first ever 7 out of 10 racer we'll be discussing on the pod is race driver creating race otherwise known as dtm race driver free in germany and v8 supercars free in australia
0: was it called that in the u.s it might have just been like race uh, actually you're probably right i feel like did i have this game i can't even remember i might have played this game
1: I mean, if if you had a DS and played a racing game, it was probably some form of creating Race. <laughs> um, I'm looking this up right now.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't called creating Race in the US, but it it had a different title, but I can't find it. But anyway, you continue.
1: Yeah, so Race Driver creating Race. Effectively, this was a racing game that was published by Codemasters and developed by Firebrand Games who I found out actually started off their operations in Glasgow, which is like 10 minutes up the road from me so a little bit of (laughs) of trivia there effectively this game was uh, a kind of a race driver light in the sense that you had loads of touring cars, loads of worldwide tracks, but it was on the DS and therefore you need a gimmick because that's how the DS worked at the time what could the what could a racing game use on the nintendo ds to make it stand out from the crowd and what we actually get is something that's incredibly interesting for its time period and aged absolutely horribly it's a track creator and livery creator that is entirely controlled by the touch screen you won't be surprised to hear adam
0: yeah, so uh, while you were introducing the game, I did I did look it up, and it was called Create and Race in the U.S. Um, and I did that means that I did play it. I think I got confused with the with the grid port on the DS. I never played, but yeah. Um, now I've jogged my memory. This game is it. It was cool at the time when 3D polygonal racing games didn't really happen on handhelds. Uh, I mean, you know, the PSP was out. For a little bit at this point the DS was obviously out for a little bit but it was still kind of a novel concept and the DS kind of always uh benefited from the surprise of a game that actually ran well on it because <laughs> and that's not to say there are a lot of great games on the DS and and uh I know it's your it's your favorite console but when it comes to like games <laughs> that like push the 3d angle like you know that the DS could like rudimentarily do 3D like somewhere between a Sega Saturn and the Playstation so the strongest games on that console to me are are not the ones that tried to emulate anything you were playing at home but this is of course a Toka race driver game so it's trying to be a racing sim on the DS which is not always always, (laughs) always going to be going against you i mean obviously it's not it's not a very punishing simulator and it's not even really a simulator by anyone's standards today but um just the fact that you were driving all sorts of different disciplines like you would normally in the race driver game uh you know, I do remember driving the DTM uh, a four, and you could have a little bit of fun with this game. Uh, but the main appeal for me, and I think for a lot of people, was the ability to make your own tracks, which was also quite limited. Because I remember, I don't think you could really do much in the way of like elevation. But they did give you all of these building blocks that you could use, um, which I think was was how I spent most of my time uh, playing this game.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what most people actually used it for as well. I think it was a novel concept at the time because it was doing something that wasn't actually that frequent, to be honest, um, even on home console. Um, the, the ability to create your tracks and such um, well not detail from an environmental standpoint, but from the track design elements, it was something that allowed um, you a greater level of control and in a, an interface that was probably perfectly suited to it. And I, th- I think that that's why it deserves calling out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, it was using the DS um, in, in the best way possible, which is, you know, a game, a game that has a touchscreen or that can use a stylus as a kind of tool for you to create things, um, leveraging that touchscreen on the bottom, which, like, no racing game would ordinarily be able to do. I mean, I think normally that was probably just, like, a track map when you are actually playing the game, but, um, you know... You, you would get the most out of it by being able to build your own tracks. But the thing is, like, it, it is a racing game, so what what you want it to be good at is the driving and you know, you're you're playing a very uh limited 3D polygonal racer with relatively sort of real kind of feeling physics for the time, but on the yeah. D pad with buttons and no analog. Like it's you're <laughs> you're never gonna get very far, although I do think that it's funny that y- you look through the years and Codemasters has always been that company that seems to be interested in bringing its, uh, you know, more refined, more um, more involved racers to Nintendo's handhelds. They just did it with Grid Sport, um, which I think is probably the best uh, the best shot they've ever had at it, the best time yeah. they've ever done it. Um, of course, Feral led the way on, on that. Uh, and this was Firebrand, who I do remember, I think they they're behind real racing uh on phones. And the whole Real Racing series, I think EA owns them now. Yeah. So um they're they're very Codemaster's are very good at finding these astute kind of mobile focused developers uh to to port these games in ways that make the most of the handheld experience. Um and, and Create and Race, I think, all told, it's it's the best that they could have done at the time on that hardware. It's just, you know,
1: what what do you expect? It's, it's running on DS. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, the, the game also included uh, Wi-Fi-enabled play as well, so you could even do online racing on your custom tracks as well if you were hosting the lobby. Um, it had full friend support and stuff, which is, like, if we're talking about Grid Autosport right now, it doesn't include any form of uh, online multiplayer. But (laughs) Create and Race had it at launch, which is worth pointing out and praising because of that. So, I mean, if you really wanted to play a racing game on the Nintendo DS, for quite some time outside of Mario Kart, Create and Race was really your only decent option because Namco managed to absolutely um, muck up the um, Ridge Racer DS port that they put out initially. um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it still boggles my mind how that turned out so poorly Um, and there there just wasn't really that many options, the the urban asphalt games were there but it was very much a mobile gaming experience at the time, didn't suit a console at all Um, but like you're saying Codemasters, they they sometimes like thrown it out there on the Nintendo devices and Create and Race provided a great framework that Grid would then build upon as well and that is also very much a 7 out of 10 racer to, to be clear it's not as if any of these were incredible because at the end of the day the limitations of the hardware and the control uh, options available to the player mean that you're spending a lot of time creating tracks but in reality you're probably not spending that amount of time driving on them funnily enough
0: yeah i i think of creating race the same way i think of the sims when i played the sims when i was younger and basically i really enjoyed building houses and designing houses and like furnishing my my homes with like different you know pieces of ikea furniture and whatnot but i did not actually <laughs> enjoy controlling uh you know my sims or i really i didn't give i didn't give a crap about their lives or anything like that i just yeah. use it as like an architecture simulator so that's more or less the way i feel about the. Uh, Race Driver and Create and Race, but you know, still, still fun for its time. Given the choice, I'd rather play the uh, the PSP port of Race Driver 2, I think, which was actually pretty, pretty feature complete from what I remember. It was literally Race Driver 2, but on your PSP,
1: which is vastly superior, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's pretty much all you can say about Race Driver Create and Race. So I'll just, uh, I'll just go into my game. And that would be Top Gear Rally uh, on the N64, which, Brendan, uh, you never had an N64, right? So I don't know how much experience. No, I did no. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really just going to be me talking about Top Gear Rally and you trying to imagine what that feels like. Although if you uh, <laughs> if you watch YouTube videos of the game, you can you can pretty much get a good understanding of the issues that <laughs> I'm going to bring up. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Top Gear Rally is is interesting because it was kind of billed as I it wasn't a launch title for n sixty four, but I think it came out very close to launch. And it was kind of billed as Nintendo's answer to Sega Rally, which like it, Nintendo didn't make it. It was it was Boss Game Studios and Chemco publishing because Chemco Top Gear is kind of like Chemco's uh franchise. And Boss yeah. Game Studios would do a lot of They're they're such an interesting uh, developer, because we we talked about them a little bit on Unreleased Games, because they had a project for the Xbox, uh, the original Xbox that never came out. Um, But they became like a racing studio. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, they don't exist anymore, but like in their day, they they became a racing studio. But weirdly enough, they were focusing all of their efforts pretty much on the N64. Uh, And it's a good thing they did, because they were the only developer at the time that was that cared at all about that platform. I mean, they had um, they had this. Uh, I don't think they did Top Gear Overdrive. Uh, I think that was a different studio. Um, Twisted Edge Snowboarding, which is a snowboarding game, but still you did a lot of racing in it. So there was that. And uh, World Driver Championship. I think is the one that most people would know. And uh, definitely a, a pretty good approximation of Gran Turismo on the N64. Uh, with more of a motorsports vibe and actually a pretty decent game all around. It came out at the end of the system's life cycle, so it was uh, yeah. it was pretty refined for an N64 game. Top Gear rally though, um, it's, it's not very refined. In fact, I would describe it as like the complete opposite of being refined because it's, <laughs> it's one of those games that y- you look at and I think at the time too, it was very much regarded as like amazing from a technical standpoint. Because they touted the fact that they had weather on every track in different times of day. And they touted the damage model. And they touted the suspension and the physics model, which was very advanced for its time. But it was kind of like this sort of, like, to play, the physics were extremely hyperactive. uh, Where, you know, you would just, like, slightly turn the wheel and all of a sudden you'd see your car, like, bouncing You know, up and down as the tires stayed firmly planted to the ground. Uh, There's the suspension in this game, like for all these cars, it, it just feels like jelly. It just feels like the car is just like this, this amorphous mass that's just like sliding around while the wheels stay firmly planted on the road and it's, there's no racing game I've ever played that feels quite like it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say it's kind of like broken to drive because uh, very quickly you realize that you can wall ride in every track on this game and lose no speed when you do so. Oh, wow. So um, yeah, the collision detection's wonky. It has a lot of issues, but it's a kind of game that I think if you never played it and you looked at it, maybe if you didn't have an N64 at the time and you looked at it, you were just like, Ugh, I wish like you know, the PlayStation or Saturn could do that. But I think if you actually, you know, gave it a go, you you were, you would have been pleasantly uh, surprised at how average the game ended up being.
1: <laughs> I'm watching a video of it now, funnily enough, where you're describing it, and the, the jelly comparison is bang on. It's
0: so weird. And the thing is, I love this game. I, I think what we're going to to touch on a lot in these discussions about seven out of time racers is that we probably like them a lot at the time but they've aged horribly and when i was a kid i thought this game was amazing i like i didn't really care about damage like i thought it was cool the cars got beat up but if you look at the damage model too that's also very like it's it's ambitious for the time but i mean the cars if you remember gt5's early damage model and how like you would hit a wall and the sheet metal on your, on your car, you know, basically like your bumpers will almost look like they've melted. It was like a direct, like whatever the force was to the impact. Like it was, it wasn't like you were dealing with metal hitting metal. You were dealing with like metal, yeah. hitting like polycarbonate or something like that. And these cars would deform <laughs> in really odd and gross ways. And lots of like weird clipping errors will occur. And that's basically how the damage works in this game too. Um. It, but at the time, I guess because it was trying to do so many different things, and because the N64 also didn't have a lot of racing games, of course, at this time might have been like the game, the system's only racing game that was a Mario Kart 64. Um, at the time, I liked it. I thought the and and the one thing that I still love about the game, despite everything else kind of having aged poorly, is that it has an awesome soundtrack, uh, which. If you've ever played Top Gear Rally, you've heard and you listen to Time Extend, you've heard it a bunch of times because I always put it underneath everything. It's, it's such a sad, somber soundtrack. It's really weird, <laughs> and it was done. Um, it was done by Barry Leach, who uh, you know was a, a legendary video game composer who obviously worked on all the Top Gears on the on the SNES, and more recently they uh, brought him back for Horizon Chase Turbo, uh, which also has a great ah, soundtrack. Cool. So, so yeah, I mean. With, with Barry Leach composing this game, there was no chance it wasn't going to sound great. Uh, the funny thing is, he actually looks back on the soundtrack as as pretty poor because um, huh. they made him use, I think, to fit on the N64 cartridge, which is always an issue with the N64 multimedia. Uh, they made him use like 8-bit samples, so it's like it it's it doesn't sound as like fake and silly as MIDI instruments do instead it sounds really compressed and dirty and like uh staticky it's it's actually really weird like the first time when you're playing on on the tv you know on the N64 in 1997 you probably wouldn't have noticed it but like when I got some was able to get my hands on some like you know mp3s of of these songs and like listen to them in in isolation it's amazing how like (laughs) just like messy they sound because <laughs> because of the compression they had to use so
1: funnily enough a problem with the ds as well so oh, similar yeah. to create race in that regard
0: yeah no absolutely and yeah and i think that's a way that these games are quite similar is that you know they are doing the absolute most that they can uh on limited hardware and and in doing some research for this I, I came across a couple a couple things to call out that i thought were interesting i mean Th- this one really threw me for a loop and it continues that time extend tradition of like unfairly, I mean we're being unfair when we do this, but calling out like IGN and GameStop reviews from like 15, 20 years ago <laughs> for, <laughs> for like praising games that we don't like, which yeah, we're, we're kind of dirtbags for doing it, but it's sort of the fun, especially when you read quotes on IGN like the Sega Rally Killer has arrived um oh, because but. that's that's what they thought <laughs> Top Gear Rally was um and I actually remember getting I don't know where we got it I don't know how it turned up but we had a VHS my family went back when we had a collection of VHSs and I guess um one well, of my brothers either like probably took it home when they went to like EB Games or something in 1997 or like it was mailed to us I have no idea but it's a it's a video ad for Top Gear Rally um, on VHS, oh, that's cool. yeah, you can actually find it on YouTube. It's it's super super cheesy uh, as you'd expect, but um, yeah, this game did did have some muscle behind it. I think in terms of marketing because Nintendo knew that it was one of the only games that they would have on their system that would like outwardly appeal to more mature gamers. You know, that wasn't uh, just like an all inclusive Mario or, or something like that. Um, it was like this in Goldeneye, I feel like, and and maybe one or two other games. But uh, I also found um, there. Is, I, I was uh, digging around, and on the Beyond 3D forums, I found this thread, uh, and there was this user there who who talked a lot about the game. This I think this thread was from probably like three or four years ago, but apparently he worked on the game, and uh, shed a lot of light on the fact that you know the physics are. Are wonky because they developed the engine extremely late. Always a good idea. There's also uh, something he pointed out, which is pretty funny, is that uh, so all the tracks, as I said, have different um, weather conditions, and but they're all in different places. Yeah, I think there was like four or five tracks in the game. One of them's in the jungle, and uh, you could actually make it snow. And when I was a kid, I ne- like this. I didn't think this was weird at all. I was like, yeah, I don't know, it could snow in the jungle? I have no <laughs> idea. I'm like six or seven years old. That sounds right to me. Um, but yeah, that was just, uh, an artist apparently volunteered to do it, uh, as a joke, and then it just became a thing, and that's why it can snow in the jungle on Top Gear Rally. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, oh, that was another thing. It also had a livery adder. It was extremely ah cool Uh, rudimentary and you know it was basically like painting in in microsoft paint but you were using the n64 analog stick instead which is like if i could like think of the one way to make microsoft paint a worse experience replace a mouse with the n64 (laughs) analog stick and and there you go so that's pretty much all i have to say on top gear rally um i know it was just basically a wall of me talking but i've uh, got a few questions brendan you've been watching at least uh two two and a half minutes of gameplay so
1: <laughs> yeah i mean on um. the back of that i guess i can start asking questions as a, a, a top gear rally um virgin
0: <laughs> you should probably stay a top, top gear rally virgin as long as you can
1: yeah I, I, i'll try i mean the, the lure might be too much now that we've talked about it um is it related to the TV show at all, or is this is Top Gear like a, a franchise? Oh wow, that you, had
0: other you you really are a Top Gear virgin. Okay, um, no, the Top yeah. Gear, <laughs> the Top Gear uh, game series does not have anything to do with the TV show. Um, right. Okay. Basically, it started on the SNES. You had like three or four games there, and back then it was more of like. A, uh, It's not OutRun at all, but the same kind of, like, you know, um, 2D sprite scaling behind the car thing. Um, Probably a good comparison would be, like, those Lotus Challenge games or whatever that I never played. Um, Something like that. And then on the N64, they made Top Gear Rally. Uh, They made Top Gear Overdrive, which that is a 7 out of 10 racer, if there ever ever was one. (laughs) Um, We'll talk about that one day. Uh, Top Gear... Mm, there was, like, Top Gear Daredevil on the GameCube or something. And then the series... I don't know what happened, and then it pretty much died. It was, like... Oh, there, were, there was one, actually, on the GBA. They made a Top Gear rally on the GBA in 2003 that was actually pretty amazing for that. So it was a fully polygonal <laughs> racing game on the Game Boy Advance that actually wasn't awful to play. It was, like, much better than Sega Rally and, uh, and the Colin McRae Rally port that they put on the GBA. So it's had a very weird history but but yeah there's there's no relationship to the tv show at all
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that the gba um game in the series been pretty good because the the, the v rally 3 gba port was also really good and that was kind of with limited 3d graphics and that type of thing as well so i mean it's pretty weird to think that on the gba there's two good rally games and they both tried to achieve some form of 3d
0: it was, like, only the rally games on, on Game Boy Advance that tried to do 3D2, <laughs> which is really weird. Because you had would, you would call McCray, you had Sega Rally, you had Top Gear Rally, and you had V-Rally 3, and there might have been another one, too. Everything else was, like, um, like Top Gear... Oh! I'm forgetting. There was, like, a Top Gear Championship or something like that on the GBA, but that was... Um, that was... G- that was like uh about, like the Japanese Grand Touring car championship before it was Super GT. It was actually a pretty ah. cool idea for a game, but it was it was just like GT Advance. Um, if you ever played those where you had the uh the kind of mode 7 track you were on and the car was like yeah. a pre-rendered sprite. So like all of those kinds of racing games were always like pre-rendered sprites but the rally games for some reason tried to do like full 3d models and everything and and the ones you would expect to be bad were actually the best ones like top gear rally like full-on almost look it looks as good as some saturn racing games uh whereas sega rally championship on the game boy advance as much as i want to love it and as much as i love the gba chiptune remixes of uh sega rally songs uh it's really hard to look at it it's actually plays better than it looks but it's it, it it messes with your eyes everything is so pixelated, and janky
1: yeah you've got to wonder why the developers kind of went down that route of trying to make 3d games in the gba as well especially in rally where it is a pretty uh, murky display at most times because it's just mud and dirt and kind of pale grass. (laughs) It's not exactly perfect for standing out on such a small screen either. Um, But to bring it back to Top Gear Rally, one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one, is that there seems to be some really strange shortcuts on like every track. And it isn't like maybe cutting say half a second off a lap time there's like genuine different routes that can be taken on the tracks. Was that something that you felt was pretty cool at the time or did it not really impact the gameplay that much?
0: No, that was, that was actually one of the best aspects of the game because the tracks were pretty well designed and the thing about Top Gear Rally is that there was, as far as I can remember, somebody might tell me I'm wrong, um, which is fine, but I don't remember there being any difference between going on different surface types in that game. So it wasn't so much like, oh, like the tarmac section is longer, but you know I could I could save time if I go in the mud, but the mud's slower. like that may have been a factor, but I, the physics are just so generally weird and like ridiculous that like any surface you're on felt like you were like in space, like it didn't matter. So um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but that said, like there were really weird shortcuts and there were a lot of shortcuts that like I never discovered until years of playing the game um the last track you unlock uh which is the strip mine is like full like the whole thing is full of shortcuts and there's there's a lot of verticality in those shortcuts and a lot of like crazy jumps to the point where like that track which is like the only one that like is kind of a secret in the game uh ends up feeling like a, a track from san francisco rush Because of like how often you're in the air and just like underground and it's pretty nuts and like it shows off the fact that from a technical perspective like the N64 was really good at throwing a lot of polygons at you really quickly Uh, not so much with like textures or physics or anything like that but it was it was very good with like just bombarding you with just 3D action and this game does that well Uh, it's just that now that you know 3D games are we've had 20 years of them it, it doesn't it doesn't feel as refined
1: <laughs> yeah no that's interesting it's just it was one of the things that immediately stood out to me because especially around about that time period for reasonably realistic racing games um, even the rally ones you were very rarely allowed way way off the beaten track um, the, the closest example to this one in maybe a future 7 out of 10 racer I would discuss was Total Driven Uh, total driving on the playstation one it did have a different name we've discussed this before in the us i can't remember what it was called but that was another game where there was loads of weird shortcuts and if you took certain shortcuts it would like transport you to a different version of the same track and loads of weird shit like that um but yeah no that looked really cool and to be honest i think i'll um, find a a way a method i'm not sure how of uh, playing this game without using a Nintendo Sixty Four.
0: Yeah, if only there was some way to play an N sixty four game
1: without an actual system. It's you, you got me we there. We keep saying this, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we keep saying this, and we never discover a method, or do we? I guess that's the big question. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> fully impossible.
0: N sixty four, as I've discovered, not uh, not as a not as much of a cakewalk to emulate as I thought it would be. Like, because ah. I was playing this, and I was playing uh, Multi Racing Championship, which is. A game I will also probably talk about in the series one day uh, and there yeah. were weird bugs uh, all around and I was you know my PC is I mean any PC could probably has the power to emulate an N64 game but I think just like um, the quality of the software that's out there isn't very consistent or reliable and I was trying Project 64 and I was trying Mupin and like they, they were both... Good in about seventy-five percent of the way, and then would have different bugs in either case. So, uh, but yeah, obviously don't do that because
1: it's illegal. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't don't you dare do that. Don't you dare tell anyone that you heard it from time extent Everything
0: everything I just told you was actually when I said I did it. It was actually my friend who did. It. <laughs> so so we're we're good. We can uh, we can move on from that.
1: I guess um, to go on to the third game and initially we were looking at discussing four games on this pod, but we'll see how, how far this one goes. Um The last game is also a rally title. Um people won't be too surprised to hear that given how we all, always end up discussing these types of game. Um and it's actually from my favourite series, which is a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a kind of heartbreak to bring up in a seven out of ten racers podcast. But it's Sega Rally 3, and it's specifically free. This doesn't include Revo, and it it does include online arcade, I suppose, because it's technically the same game. Um, but yeah, Sega Rally 3, before I go off on my mini rant slash praise, uh, Adam, much experience with the, the arcade game?
0: No, because I live in a country called the United States, which uh, <laughs> doesn't like arcades and much so likes racing, so... Um... No, I played this game exactly one time, uh, at the Dave and Busters in the middle of Pennsylvania. And my experience with it was so incredibly brief that like, I, I played it. I mean, I probably put like 20 minutes into it cause no one was there, but even then it was so brief that like, I just thought it was Revo on at 60 frames per second and in an arcade cabinet, um, and back then, Sega used Sega's uh, arcade board was basically an Xbox 360. So I didn't think that there yeah. was any real difference between the games. But um, time extends. No, I think you've referenced years, that before.
1: Yeah. Time extend
0: <laughs> over the last two years, uh, Brendan. You have, um, you know, exposed me to this this mad theory that they're actually <laughs> very different, um, which I'm still not totally convinced of. But this is this
1: is a oh. chance to
0: prove prove it to me again.
1: So um. I could just play my um, five-hour run that I pre-recorded beforehand, because of course that exists. It doesn't, but it should, about why they aren't the same game. But um, I'll try and give a brief version of why they differ. Um, Sega Rally 3 and Revo were both developed in tandem, that much is true. However, Revo was trying to capture a new generation of Sega Rally fans and also bring in those who love the series by doing so create a pretty complex handling engine that could take advantage of the kind of numerous control options and time people would spend playing the game. So Revo actually has a lot more complex physics from my perspective when it comes to um, drifting the cars and navigating the tracks, especially with the um, live terrain that they put in the game, Um, something that is ultimately underutilised, let's be honest, because of the three lap races. Um, but in Sega Alley 3, the idea was to create a super challenge, that's what the codename was, version of Sega Alley Evo. One that could be played in a similar method to the two games that came before it, could look very impressive, and quite notably have WRC licensing as well, which is something I'll get back to. And effectively, Sega Rally 3 takes a slightly different approach to Revo in the sense that, yeah, when it, when it comes to the actual cars themselves, they might handle similarly. But the real difference is very similar to um, if, you're, if you played a lot of Mario Kart Wii. Um, the drifting mechanics can be manual or automatic. And in manual, that's where you would play Mario Kart normally by jumping into the drift, getting a boost and then going on your way and an automatic the car would just kind of automatically kind of go to its side like watching an episode of initial d or something um and sega rally 3 very much falls into that ball camp it sort of removes the the skill and complexity of drifting round corners for tracks that were made well not made for vivo but they definitely vivo takes better advantage of them and overall, because of that core element of the Sega Rally Revo engine being um, simplified almost, it's just a bit of a different experience, and it doesn't quite feel that the Sega Rally game's before it. It doesn't feel like Revo because of the simplified drifting. And as a result, you get a very nice, tidy-looking Sega Rally game with really a really cool car list, um, nice visuals. But it just it just feels like it's missing something and i think that's because i played the absolute shit out of revo so by the time i got the chance to play sega rally 3 i think that my judgment was al- almost already clouded and yeah it's it's a strange situation
0: if they had made sega rally 3 with revo's you know the same revo core handling uh would that be your favourite Sega Rally game? Because I—I I, that's kind of the sense that I'm getting. Like, you, you put that game in arcade, you make it 60 frames per second, you have the WRC licence. Um, I guess, you know, 1995 is untouchable, but I feel like that yeah. might be your favourite racing game ever, if that's actually what happened.
1: Well, I mean, it's a great question as well, because one of the other core elements that the arcade game brings back is the arcade-style gameplay, because it's mode, one of the, yeah. the sticking points yeah championship mode exactly it was missing from revo which was a shame and yeah i have i have wondered at times how interested i would have been if they had made either a sega Rally 3 with revo's handling or in revo made a separate championship mode that kind of combined the mini tracks in the game to offer a similar arcade experience i think there's a lot of potential there on both sides and it would have been up there like 95 is untouchable because it's fucking 95 like the, the PS2 version especially the arcade perfect port is one of the best racing games ever made full stop um, but yeah Sega Rally 3 just feels like a missed opportunity to me because like you said it, r- it ran like an absolute dream it was incredibly pretty and probably the last um, Sega racing game in arcades in the modern era that I can say I've actually enjoyed quite a bit but it just it felt so oversimplified in the sense that if if you got a kind of a newbie to play ninety five for the first time, if there was a rare working cabinet somewhere and they tried playing the game, they wouldn't be able to do well because they'd have to learn how to play the game and adjust their driving style. But Sega Rally Three, I I wasn't a good uh, test basically uh, because even though they changed the the handling from Revo was still similar enough that I could do well. But I was with a few friends and when they played it right away, they got to the final track as if it was nothing. And without going full elitist, the whole point about Sega Rally is that it keeps that longevity because it always keeps you trying to improve your times and more importantly just finish the damn race. Sega Rally 2 is a game I've played a lot of and yet, as, as you know Adam, because we discussed it funnily enough earlier this year, it was the first time, I'd, I, I hadn't beat the entire game really until earlier this year, despite playing the shout of it, because it is such a difficult game to master, whereas Sega Rally 3 just feels like um, babies for Sega Rally almost, it just doesn't, it doesn't have that kick that keeps co- you coming back for more. And I mean I, I can't speak for you, Adam, but I'm guessing the fact you only had a brief interaction with it hasn't ever been viewed as a problem for you. Like even though it's a Sega racing game, I'm guessing you've never had a second thought about oh I would like to play Sega Rally 3 again because it just isn't that memorable, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean I would I would like the opportunity to to play the game again. Um but at the same no, time yeah. my my feeling on it <laughs> basically in the face of everything you just said my my feeling on it forever was just like this is the arcade version of revo it's the same (laughs) as revo and i like revo but like it's not i you you adore that game and for me i just thought it was a a pretty solid approximation of sega rally but it lacked a lot of the things that made sega rally to me special like um the, the the track design was good in some places and not so good in others. And the lack of a championship mode uh, really hurt that game for me because it ends up becoming like this just like constant three race series slot. They spied over overs. and over and over and yeah. over again. Um, I think I would have. And and this, if what you said, if you think that makes you sound like an elitist, what I'm about to say is going to make me sound like the biggest <laughs> fucking elitist in the world. I wish that <laughs> Sega Rally in the future like from that point went down the road of like 2006 which isn't a great game Mm. but uh and and because it's all in japanese i can't really play it but um you know has more of a fleshed out like career mode and the ability upgrade cars and stuff but it still feels like sega rally it still handles like sega rally it still has the um uh, championship mode style progression of Sega Rally, but it just has all the of stuff on top of that, which just like keeps you in the game longer. Um, yeah, I mean, I and the funny thing is, like, I bought Online Arcade too, but I think Online Arcade
1: came out like almost like two years after Revo did. Yeah, it. it was quite some time. So it was a shadow drop pretty much as well. Nobody was expecting that to get a release. Yeah, it was a, a bit surprising.
0: So by the time Online Arcade came out and I played it. I had forgotten how Revo handled, so I was like, <laughs> oh, all they did was they just made the chase cam static, because that was, the the chase cam, I will always remember in Revo, just like, it flew around, like the car would like, you could do 360s and the camera wouldn't move, whereas like in Online Arcade and an SR3, the camera is fixed to the back of the car, it's locked, you can't like it's it always yeah, it's like yeah. more of like a Gran Turismo 4 kind of chase cam compared to the really loose and drifty one that's uh in Revo um so that's all I thought they changed and then also you have the tracks from uh from Sega Rally 3 it really really bothered me that they couldn't extend that WRC license with those uh th- 2008 WRC oh, cars to online arcade honestly if they had done that you're, you're gonna hate me for saying this but I care so much about, like, the WRC license and those cars that that game would probably be, I'd, ha- I'd take that over Revo. Like, in, maybe not today, knowing what I know now, but totally, if, in 2009, if they ported SR3 with those cars to Xbox Live, I would never touch Revo again and perfectly
1: be happy with it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, honestly, I mean... It's, it's why Sega Alley 3 is on this list. I, I don't think it's a bad game. I think it's far from a bad game. I, I always play it if I see a machine. Like, I need to. If I see a Sega Alley 3 machine, I will play it as a matter of principle. Um, I still love it. I played online arcade to death. I think I had, like, a top five worldwide time in Charlie chip mode for quite some amount of time in the game's life. Although there wasn't really that many players on the leaderboard. Um... <laughs> But the, the, a few points on what you've said there. You were saying if they had maintained the WRC license and brought that to online arcade, it would have put it right up there for you. And I guess for me, like I'm always of a why not both mindset in the way that Sega Rally 3 had versions of the tracks that were in Revo, but um, expanded. They were slightly different. They they had like kind of extra sections, so to speak, so that when you were playing it in the arcade, it wasn't like a one minute lap time. but more like one minute and a half. And for the longest time in Revo, I really wanted those tracks to come over as DLC. And I also really wanted the WRC license to come to Revo in the form of DLC as well. And it was just, I feel as if the the potential was there because um, funnily enough, on Revo you can see the parts of the track that are in SEGA Alley 3 just blocked off on a lot of the tracks. So like, I wonder if that was the plan initially, and then they went with Online Arcade instead and kind of released that. And I think Online Arcade came out as well when a SEGA Racing Studio had been um, let go by SEGA. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that might explain why it got its own kind of individual release in the end up, because I, I'm sure of it, it was pretty much a shadow drop. I don't think anybody really expected Sega Rally Online Arcade to exist. That's how I remember it anyway, and pretty pretty much always looking up Sega racing information, so it's not like it just kind of snuck up on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the interesting part about these games, we talk about it, one of the um, one of the followers and frequent interact uh, people who interact on our Twitter feed is uh, Jamie Lowe's, who was one of the actual handling programmers for the game. And I don't know but you, Adam, but this discussion inherently leads on to talking to Jamie for a bit and seeing if he would like to talk about it because I'd be curious to know what the mantra behind Free compared to Revo was and finally prove you wrong for sure by getting somebody official to, to kind of explain to you that they weren't the same. <laughs> yeah, um no,
0: I would I would absolutely love to have Jamie on the show and it's so great that Time Extent has reached like like, I'm, I'm so proud of two things with this show. One is that, you know, just the audience in general that we're just, you know, people are finding it and really digging it and, and passing it around. But also that, like, um, a lot of people who have worked on these games are finding this show and, and they're <laughs> following it and they're listening. And, like, it honestly makes me, like... So it's it's simultaneously the most exciting thing in the world and the most nerve-wracking thing in the world because like I'm gonna say something or to be like you have no fucking idea how games are, <laughs> you <laughs> stupid talking head, which is true, which is true, um and you know it's I was so I I, mean, I know there's a story there to tell because like you you know I was so gutted when SRS was closed down. Immediately after the game came out, after uh, Revo came yeah. out, and or at least that's when we heard about it, um, I couldn't believe it because SRS was supposed to be like, you know, the future of say racing, and although I've said before that you know I like Revo, I had fun with it. It's not my favorite game in the world. I was so excited to see what they were gonna do next because I was like, if this is their first project as a working team together yeah, in yeah. Sega, and like, and they brought so much talent from other developers, you know, I think they they had people from that that hotbed of UK racing game development where they had people from like Codemasters and Criterion and and uh, and all these other places. I was like, whatever they do next is is gonna be phenomenal, and then we we never got to see it. So um, <laughs> I would I would love nothing more than to hear hear that firsthand from someone who was in it um i mean it'll also be very depressing because we'll just be uh pining over what could have been uh, sort of <laughs> sort of like we did uh kind of when uh, paul Rishinski was on the show um yeah but but yeah that that's that's definitely a discussion to have for sure
1: it, it was one of the things i was gonna say like um the racing game Radiohead moment as you could say if you fancy getting depressed getting some beer out um Reads the description of what sega racing studio was trying to accomplish on wikipedia and it is honestly the most tragic thing in the world because it sums up exactly what any sega racing game fan would have wanted at the time it was all about bringing the series to a modern audience it wasn't about rehashing the, the kind of what had already been done but rather making changes that this team and this team felt within their capabilities of making to make it suit a new audience and it's one of the reasons i do love revo not to constantly hark on about it but it wasn't really afraid to try and give a new kind of identity to the series in that regard and the kind of terrain manipulation and stuff there were some real great elements there and um sega rally 3 um it kind of it feels like it simplifies a lot of that but the actual core racing here is still further proof that sega racing studio like you said it was a hotbed of talent and um Sega Rally 3 gets its place on the seven out of ten racers list, um, and Revo gets its place on my top modern racers list. Um, but what these guys could have accomplished with some more years under their belt or a bit more funding as well um, is something we'll never know. But it's it's still worth bringing up these games where possible, and that's why I felt Free fitted the bill for seven out of ten racers so much. It's it's a fun racer. Um, One of the last great modern racers before we started getting those stupid one-pedal fucking raw thrill games. (laughs) Ports from iOS
0: and Android,
1: yeah. (laughs) Oh god, yeah, Flappy Bird Arcade Machines, all that shit. Like, Sega Alley 3 is probably one of the last proper arcade games, funnily enough. Well, it's like you, you look
0: at Daytona Championship USA and, like... I know that there were whatever small team was responsible for that game I think there were some holdovers for like Sega Amusements has some people from SRS maybe I I don't exactly know I think there may have been a little bit of crossover there uh, in terms of people worked on but clearly like you know the Sega Amusements team trying to make a new Daytona USA I mean you look at all the content that was recycled in that game and it's clear they they didn't really have a budget, they didn't really have anything to work with, and they were very limited, and they didn't have any input from really anyone on the original team to really say like, hey, you should do this or not that, so it literally yeah. ends up looking I've never played the game still, I'd, I'd love to give it a shot one day, but it ends up looking like an Unreal Engine reskin of Daytona 1, um, which isn't I know there are reasons why that happened but, you know, it's not really what anyone wanted I mean, Sega Rally Revo uh, and Sega Rally 3 were legitimately new games that, that carried over nothing but were inspired by everything that had come before. I got Sega Rally Revo the same day that I got PGR4. That was, like, the best day of my life. It's, like, two of these, <laughs> like, a new Sega Rally for the first time in, like, 10 years, and PGR4, which is probably, like, my favorite in the series, like, both dropping on the same day or, like, the same week. Oh, my God memories
1: yeah i think um i had a pretty similar experience in the sense that i got um sega rally revo with my playstation 3 um like on christmas day so it was the first game i played on playstation 3 obviously holds a nice place in my heart because of that i always remember it as well funnily enough because like my my kind of best friend just lives up the road from me and like, for like a few years on Christmas Day, like he would just come down to the house for like 20 minutes, like, oh shit, what did you get, dude? Like, what did you get for Christmas? And I always remember, like we played Sega Ali Evo split screen, and we're just blown away by like how great it looked on the PlayStation 3, and then uh, the next day, went to the shop and bought Ridge Racer 7, so it was like those two like kind of arcade racing games that you just wouldn't be able to get a year or so after launch now, and consoles, I don't think. Like that kind of calibre of pure arcade racing so even even the playstation 3 era now seems like such a long time ago which is pretty wild
0: yeah is it possible to get um like a pc code for revo in the same way that you have gotten pc codes for grid and and whatnot uh so was that game even on pc i have no
1: idea yeah it's on it's on pc um i i do have a copy Mm -hmm. um 60 frames per second 4k brilliant mods that people have made but the way I had to go about it was sourcing a hard copy of the PC game Ooh, and then yeah, uh, kind of work. using that. Yeah, so using the <laughs> CD. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, I don't think it was ever available on storefronts, unfortunately, which makes an absolute bastard to replay. Right on that um,
0: cusp of, like, that that cutoff when games were exclusively physical yeah, and, and then would A be matter kind of, of months, yeah. I
1: think we're talking about yeah. here, unfortunately. Um, And then Online Arcade was never actually brought to anything but the PS3 and 360, I think. So you can't play Sega Rally 3 either um, through codes or anything like that. So it's it's an unfortunate situation. You are making
0: me want to go out and get a copy of Revo and play it on the PS3 because um, I have for a 360 and I sold my 360 and got rid of all the games. That's, like, it was honestly one of the stupidest things I've ever done, because, like, in doing so, I also lost uh, on, uh, OutRun Online Arcade, uh, which is, in my opinion, probably the definitive oh, Outrun, OutRun 2 experience, yeah. because it's the only one that was ever, like, in HD, um, but... Bloody hell,
1: what game that was?
0: Yeah, yeah, I just, like, I was so... I think the problem with that generation is it just lasted too long. So by end of it, I was just like, I never want to see any of these games again. Like fuck it. Like I'm so. <laughs> Meanwhile, like you know, we're going on year seven, so this one is lasting just as long. Um, yeah, it's funny how that happens, but I, I think I'll keep. I think I'll hold on to my PS4 Pro. I don't think I'm gonna get rid of that. So anyway, Top it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, that's um. I think that that's good for a starting point for seven out of ten racers. Of course, we there was another game we wanted to talk about, but that's that's not gonna happen at this point. Um, I like how it just really just ended up becoming just us talking about. I mean, this could have been any other show. Like, <laughs> it really could have been any other show. Like, there's nothing really distinctly different about these games, except for the fact that we don't love them and we don't hate them. They're somewhere in the middle.
1: We gave it a buzzwordy title. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this has been Time Extend. I uh, haven't plugged stuff in a while, so in case you're looking out for ways to find us, we are time underscore extend on Twitter. I think we're a similar thing on Instagram, though I don't think we've really done anything on Instagram for a while, so don't – That that's a work in progress. Um, um, Brendan, as you mentioned, uh, I think it's October 18th, right, that you were going to go to Sega, so we'll, we'll be following up with details on that if you want to follow along Brendan's uh, Sega stream on Twitter uh go go check that out and uh I am Pioneer Spine on Twitter. You you are whether you? You change like every every three or four months.
1: <laughs> so so right now I'm at Juice Books and that's box but an A um before the O <laughs> Oh sorry after the O after the O. So um, yeah, but you can find it on time extends bio. That's probably right. the easiest way finding yeah, it. Yeah that's true. I don't I don't even know why I
0: bothered <laughs> but but yeah thanks for listening and we will see you all again soon
1: cheers guys